In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today I'm joined in frigid Washington, D.C. by our Washington correspondent, Tia Mitchell. Tia, how are you? I'm good. It is cold. <laughs> it's cold today. But um, good day. Great to talk to you again and all of our Politically Georgia listeners. Well, we've got some huge developments in the Senate race against Kelly Leffler uh, to talk about. Um, let's start at the kind of the beginning with Doug Collins. The news broke just a few days ago that, that the four-term congressman from Gainesville was running, was challenging um, Kelly Leffler. We knew for a while that he was interested. He said way back in November that he was strongly considering a run if he wasn't appointed by Brian Kemp. That was not to be. Obviously, Kemp picked Kelly Leffler instead. And now we've got an all-out Republican feud that pits some of the most powerful players in Georgia against each other. Yeah, I think I think it shows that Representative Collins sat back. He watched Senator Leffler to see, you know, how she was going to acclimate herself and establish herself. And after a month, it did not scare him off. I think even he felt emboldened a little bit by feeling like she hadn't, you know, established herself as someone who was going to be too tough to beat. And um, he decided that he could still win. And even if he doesn't get a all-out endorsement of President Trump, which he could get, but I think he's decided that even if he doesn't get a Trump endorsement, as long as the president perhaps stays neutral, um, that he can win, even if Governor Kemp and others do not support him. You know, it's funny because I've been I've been thinking about that. If 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 Trump stays neutral, and there's there's probably decent odds he will, right? I mean, unless unless the race is really pointing to one candidate or another, I I bet he kind of stays on the sidelines. But we could I could be proven wrong tomorrow. Um, but if he stays neutral, I think both sides would declare that a victory because Doug Collins has. Lots of reporting, including a bunch of stories from us, showing that he was Trump's preferred pick for the seat. And Kelly Leffler um, can say that you know her emergence has kept him on the sidelines, and she's done everything she can to court the president. And the other day, she had the president say, um, "What was the quote? Uh, you were at the, you were on the White House lawn when it happened." Yeah, he basically said, "You know, he hears that people like her." You know, so and that's what I think is um, what we perhaps could expect from President Trump, that he neither endorses or opposes 
either candidate, but what we'll be left doing is reading the tea leaves of what he says and does not say about both of them. So perhaps the president never endorses Doug Collins, but he might say things like, you know, Doug Collins has been a friend to me and I appreciate the way Doug's, Doug Collins has spoke out on my behalf um, when it came to opposing the impeachment. And then he could say to Senator Leffler, congratulations, they really like you a lot. That's the word. And people will say, well, which one seems more ringing? Which one seems more genuine? Which one indicates that the president is making a personal stake mm-hmm. in either candidate? It's going to be really, um, really interesting to see how Kelly Leffler plays this, because this is, you know, she, this is this is her first time in public office. Um and we've we've made a lot of we've mentioned a lot, and it's true that she's little known um, to the to not just Georgia Republican officials, but to the grassroots activists who really power the Republican Party in Georgia. Um, and our poll bare, bore that out. She has about one fifth of voters think she's a, have a favorable opinion of her. About one fifth don't, and then the the overwhelming majority has no idea who she is quite yet. Um, but a bit one of her biggest was she was a couple of big strengths, but one of them is the $20 million plus that she's going to spend in her campaign. We've already seen about $3 million worth of ad space reserved for her first two rounds of commercials. And the other one is she has Governor Kemp at her back. And and Kemp, uh, as our poll showed, is, is, not, is a force to be reckoned with right now in Georgia. He has a 60% approval rating. Yeah, I do think the Kemp, um, not just Kemp himself, but his team of... Um, consultants and staff and supporters are, um, you know, investing in Senator Leffler, mainly because if she loses, that's going to make the governor look bad, you know, so they have a personal investment in seeing this through um, and not allowing, you know, Representative Collins to somewhat undermine what Governor Kemp set out to do. Um, And I think they're going to do everything they can to help her However, what we've seen and what I think Representative Collins deciding to run indicates that there are some weaknesses Senator Leffler is going to have to overcome. And those are things that no one else can do for her. She's going to have to connect with voters on a personal level. And other people can't do that for her. She's going to have to start coming off as a genuine conservative, not just someone wearing conservative clothes to impress President Trump. And no one else can do that for her. And those are things she's, you know, she's new. She's a little stiff. She's not comfortable. And she's going to have to get over that possibly very quickly if she's going to give Representative Collins a run for his money because we know he's comfortable in front of the camera. He does it almost every day. You're right. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's it's that word authenticity, right? It's it's that question because she's saying she's saying the things you think you, you, the grassroots conservatives want to want to hear that she's pro Trump, that she's pro wall, she's pro military, she she wants conservative judges, that she'll fight for Georgia. All, you know, all the, all the same kind of rhetoric we heard from uh, from from Governor Kemp during his campaign. Um, but the question is, do do they believe her? I was just going to say, it's not just what she says, but yeah. how she says it. And and, and now she has an opponent to draw a contrast because um, you can say a lot of things about Congressman Collins, but uh, he, he's been a, a supporter of, of the president from day one. He's been his most, one of his most ardent defenders against impeachment and not just impeachment, but, but 
for for his for his agenda, um, for the rest of his agenda, and he has been a uh, almost ubiquitous presence on cable TV, and that's the sort of sort of earned media that's that you can't put a value on. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's a tremendous amount of earned media he's got, and it's helped him in the la- latest AJC poll. Although a, a a big chunk of Georgia voters don't know who he is either, among Republicans he's got more than a fifty percent approval rating, um, which takes us to why Governor Kemp. And Leffler support other supporters desperately do not want legislation that would force a primary because right now it's a special election in November. They desperately are trying to fight a primary um, that would force Kelly Leffler and Doug Collins into a into a May contest. Right, and I I mean I think as long as Governor Kemp stands firm, and it looks like the Senate also kind of has his back, and doesn't as of right now, seem very open to even passing a bill to put it on the governor's desk for him to veto. So as long as the Senate, you know, keeps the bill away or, you know, Governor Kemp has said he would veto it. I think now what Republican lawmakers are going to have to decide, because right now we know that Governor Kemp is not in favor of moving the primary to May. And it looks mm-hmm. like the Senate is has his back They don't seem like they're inclined to even pass a bill to put it on Governor Kemp's desk for him to veto. But I think what Republicans are going to have to consider is now that Reverend Warnock is running, do they want the possibility of a winner-take-all primary in November where their two candidates are feeding off the same base and that could allow Democrats to get behind Reverend Warnock and he could, you know, do really well in November. So they might now be wondering, you know what, we don't like the prospect of putting Senator Leffler and Representative Collins in a head-to-head match in just a few months, but it's better than letting them hash it out in November and neither one of our candidates getting out of that special election. I think they're really going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of internal polling and hand-wringing about, you know, quote-unquote, the lesser of two evils if you're a supporter of Governor Kemp and Senator Leffler. And boy, have you come to the biggest, one of the biggest questions of of this Senate race is, as you mentioned, Reverend Raphael Warnock announced Thursday he is formally entering the race. We've been reporting this for a few weeks now, so it's a little surprise, but it finally happened and he is coming out, you know, full throttle. And one of the questions is, because this is a November special election that that allows all candidates of all parties to be on the same ballot with no primary to filter out nominees, um, can he unify the Democratic base? Because a a unified Democratic candidate in November might be the best chance the party has to win because we all know the Democrats have a terrible track record in Georgia of runoff races. Um, you can even look, even in special elections, John Ossoff gets 48% of the vote in the, in the general and then, and then falls, gets about the same percentage, but loses by 4% of the vote to Karen Handel in the runoff. So Democrats in Georgia have long struggled. Can Reverend Warnock be that unifying force in the democratic party um, to, 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 you just capture democratic enthusiasm because we, we as we've reported two at least two other credible candidates are in the race one is uh, Matt Lieberman the son of Joe Lieberman who raised about $700,000 his first quarter and the other is Ed Tarver who hasn't, hasn't j- formally jumped in yet but he says he intends to qualify and he's a former US attorney um, from over in the Augusta area i think the fact that Ed Tarver's holding back indicates that you know He's listening to those who who might be telling him 
wait a minute, because if Warnock gets in, we need you to stand down. That's what, to me, that indicates. Um, And Lieberman, you know, I'm pretty new to Georgia, but based on what I've read from you and and kind of looking around, it doesn't seem like he's the most high-profile person in Georgia, despite, you know, his famous last name. So I do think there's definitely space for the Democratic Party to rally around um, Reverend Warnock in a way that um, they could be more unified for this open seat than than even, you know, there is more Demo- there is more competition among Democrats for the Purdue seat because you do have several high profile people who've really been campaigning hard and none of them seem to be willing to kind of bow out to let there be one candidate versus Purdue. But it seems that for, you know, this Isaacson seat, the Kelly Leffler seat, that because it's an open seat and there is, you know, a chance there for Democrats to win, um, I, I, I just see that the energy's there because, quite frankly, no one else who's been looking at it, you know, Michael Thurmond and, you know, some of the state lawmakers, Democratic state lawmakers, everybody's been kind of holding back to see what Reverend Warnock was going to do. Yeah, and it's it's getting late in the game in, the, in that other Purdue race for not saying it couldn't happen, but it's it's getting real late for another contender to get in. And you had, you know, what, what shows – what what really rang through to me is the is the flock of candidates who were thinking about running, who um, made it clear either publicly or privately that they were no longer in consideration because the the, the field was already seeming to consolidate around Reverend Warnock. Um, that includes Jen Jordan, the well known Democratic state senator. That also includes Sherry Boston, the the DeKalb DA. Both of them have have you know broad, big ambitions and, you know, really the, the political world ahead of them, right? They're, they're young and they're talented politicians and they could, they could run for a range of offices. And both of them were, were, were seriously considering running um, for Senate this year uh, against Kelly Leffler and both decided not to um, as Democratic leaders kind of made it clear that, that Warnock was their, their pick. And one of the most important things that will be in pretty much every story that's written about um, Reverend Warnock is that he came in with the support of Stacey Abrams and she has, you know, cemented herself as the most powerful Georgia Democrat. And um, when she, she's the queen maker in Georgia in a way. And in this case, um, she is sided with, with Reverend Warnock. So it's hard to go against that. Right. And, and we also know Reverend Warnock, Reverend Warnock is the pastor of representative John Lewis. And so, you know, representative Lewis is dealing with his, um, his health, of course, right now, but how powerful will it be when inevitably he shows up to either campaign with Reverend Warnock or cuts an ad or just poses for a picture to put on, you know, some postcards, you know, um, because represent, especially when you talk about getting Democrats fired up. And we already know that's the other thing. I think Mm -hmm. Republicans are going to coalesce around. The The more I think about it, the more I think the primary is going to make sense for Republicans. You know, even though it's frustrating to them, they're kind of between a rock and a hard place because, yes, Leffler v. Collins in a primary, that's that's a problem for Senator Leffler. But it's also going to be a problem for a winner-take-all in 2020 when 
Democrats are so fired up and are going to be voting to possibly remove President Trump from office. And that's the difference, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, because I wasn't in Georgia then, but the Ossoff special election was kind of standing on its own. There weren't other things on the ballot to also ramp people up, right? Yep. That's why it attracted $60 million in spending because uh, most of it from outside of Georgia because it was it. Right? You're right. It was it was a race in a vacuum and it was looked at as a test of, of Trump's popularity in suburbs that used to be c- consistently conservative and now, as we've seen, have completely flipped. Right. And now this, you know, in November, whether it's a winner-take-all special election with the possibility for a runoff or whether it's a general election, you know, it's not just going to be a test of Trump's popularity. No, Trump's popularity is on the yeah. ballot in November. Yep. You got it. And let's just be clear here, too, right? I mean, if uh, it's doubtful that this legislation that would force a primary will, will go into effect, and, and we've kind of outlined some of the, the issues. One, the, the major one being Governor Kemp is pledged to veto it because it doesn't do any favors for his preferred candidate. Um, but secondly, He's very close with Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, who's also endorsed Kelly Leffler. And I've heard different things from Duncan's camp, but but it seems very doubtful that the Lieutenant Governor would want this legislation as it stands now to move forward. They might amend it and, and, and say it doesn't go into effect until next year, which wouldn't affect this race. And that's fine with the governor. That's probably fine with, with a lot of people in the Capitol. But what Speaker Ralston and other allies of Doug Collins want is it to go into effect for this race right now. Right. Um, so with that being um, pr- pretty unlikely or very unlikely, we're looking like we're going to go into overtime. And it's it's still too early to say this for sure, obviously, but with multiple Republican candidates on the ballot and with multiple Democratic candidates on the ballot and, and, and no no opponent of Reverend Warnock has the stature of, of, of either Kelly Leffler or, or Doug Collins within the within the Democratic Party, but still you have multiple Democratic candidates on the ballot. It's going to be hard for either party to rack up that majority of the vote they need to avoid a runoff. And so we're looking at what could be a really long slog. We we could be just finishing at this point next year, just finishing uh, the Senate runoff um, that will get unbelievable amounts of national attention because it would be the only or one of the only races on the ballot for that period of time after the November election. Right. You're right. Because even with Leffler and Collins kind of both battling to see who makes it out of the special election in November, you also have, you know, Warnock and possibly Lieberman. And if Warnock can run away with it, even as you mentioned, get 48 percent like John Ossoff or something near that and still Mm -hmm. face a Republican in a special election that brings up all those issues that Democrats have faced in the past, because it's now we're talking about a January ballot, you know, trying to get voters to come to the polls yet again, even though Democrats will have voted, what, three times already in 2020? Yeah, we've got, well, we've got the March presidential primary, the May primary, the July runoff, the November election, and then we're talking about a January of next year runoff. So we're, we're looking at five votes in the period of like 13 months. Well, no, less than 13 months, but, but five votes over the next, over the next year. Yeah, that's a lot. And we know that, you know, those, those runoffs and, and votes beyond kind of the main primary in election day. Democratic turnout is always a struggle. So you're right. I mean, 
it's it's just interesting to think about all the variables that not just us as journalists are considering, but that those candidates and their orbit of advisors um, and those elected officials are considering because we know that they're thinking two steps down the road anytime they decide whether or not they're going to get behind a person and in these changes that are being proposed. Yeah. And, and look, let's, let's also talk about Reverend Warnock and what he means to this race. Cause I don't, I don't know if you've, you've had a chance to hear him in person, but um, he has been flirting with running for Senate way back in 2015 um, in the 2016 race against, against uh, Senator Isaacson way back then. And he eventually opted against it, but he said back then he was thinking about staying on the pulpit while running for Senate. Um, and we know now that's exactly what he intends to do in this race. So he's going to run for U.S. Senate, stay in the pulpit of one of, the, if, if not if the state, but probably the nation's most influential churches, Ebenezer Baptist Church, which is the home, the spiritual home of Martin Luther King Jr., right? So this is, this is you know, this is, this, this is quite the platform to be, to be running, um, using, he'll have that sort of that, that bullhorn throughout the, throughout the campaign of just being sort of a moral authority on a lot of issues. And he'll kind of use that to, um, to talk about what, what he intends to be his focus, which is going to be voting rights is going to be, um, uh, social justice and criminal justice overhauls. And it's going to be expanding Medicaid. A lot of, a lot of the same issues we heard from Stacey Abrams. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it'll be interesting. I would be interested in hearing how he plans to do that from a logistical standpoint. You know what I mean? Ebenezer is a big church um, with um, multiple services, I I understand. And how is he going to travel the state needing to work on weekends, but still, you know, be able to preach in Atlanta every Sunday? Also, we know that if he does that, that's going to become a big line of attack from the Republicans who are going to accuse him of, you know, using his pulpit for a political message and, and muddying the, that separation of church and state in a literal sense. So um, I'm sure people with a lot more uh, politically savvy, political savvy than me might, might have some idea of how that works. But on the surface, it seems like easier said than done. Yeah, we are in for quite the ride. Um with, I mean, just this week alone with Doug Collins and Reverend Warnock getting the race transforms this race. And certainly if not, if it's not the premier Senate race in the nation, it's got to be right up there in the top two or three. We're going to have a fun time covering it, aren't we? Yes, it's already like, you know, become interesting. Even a lot of the journalists here at the press corps at the U.S. Capitol, you know, for national outlets are paying a lot of attention, you know, because of the drama of a sitting U.S. representative deciding to challenge a sitting U.S. senator and kind of that natural tension that that creates between Republican elected officials here in the Capitol. So there's already a lot of intrigue from national media about this U.S. Senate race based in Georgia, which is going to make it very interesting. Well, we've got you covered, listeners, for all the fun that, that awaits. Tia, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. That's all for this edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Visit AJC.com politics for all the latest in Georgia news. I'm Greg Bluestein signing off.
Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.